You know, I get excited about my guests, but this guest, I don't even know what to say. This is so important to me. As you all know, I am an advocate for free speech. This guy, he's fucking incredible. He's one of the, I'm going to go with the bravest person I've, I've ever interviewed. He's hilarious. If you don't know him, then you need to fucking get a fucking life. Okay. And that's all I have to say, because if you're a comedy fan or if you're into the First Amendment or anything and you don't know this guy. Do your fucking homework, OK, because it's a pandemic and no one can do anything anyway. So, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Bassam Youssef is here. Woo! Thank you so much, Judy. I mean, I think like I've already alienated people. It's like, hey, go, go fucking do your homework. It's like, oh my God, people hate me already. (laughs) Oh, no, no. They hate me. Awesome. You are so many things. You know, I do a lot of research on my guests, but I didn't want to stop doing research on you. Like, usually I'm like, oh, fuck. All right. I'll just put in a couple hours, three, you know, and I'll read their book. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I just wanted to know more and more and more and more and more. They call Bossom the John Stewart of Egypt, but he is. You know, he's more than the John Stewart of Egypt. Not only is he a comedian, a writer, a producer, a satirist, uh, a critic, a host, surgeon. He's a dad. He's a husband. Of these achievements now? Yeah, these are achievements now. You still have, and you have plenty of time to fuck up. Like you're young, so. And as you know, in America, we enjoy people get you know fucking up, so we can just torture them and never let it go. So. First of all, I want to start. I'd like to start at the very beginning. Do you know where that's from? A very good place to start. start. Oh, some music. God, I love you. So you I mean, here's what I'm so curious about. Growing up, as you know, I'm a Jew. That's the Jew bell. And I'm so curious as to what it was like growing up in Egypt. I mean, we live in America. The, the Middle East is covered so skewed here, I think. Don't you think? Well, I mean, they're covering the stuff that is interesting to people. I mean, there's nothing interesting about people having uh, a very normal life, baking, cooking, is a, right. and eating grapes, right? It has to be, we always, let's say, whenever we make it to the news, we make it with a bang. Right. So that's basically how to sum up the Middle East. It's like, right. hey, there's some people blowing shit up there. So let's that's on the news. But like, you know, people playing soccer, having sports right. events, just living a normal life. That's not interesting. So we always like to make an, an entrance whenever we, we make it to your news. Yeah, but we have sort of created this entire here. You know, you talk about the Middle East and I, I feel like so many people in America don't even fucking under. You know, it's there's a lot to understand, but they don't understand. They just take, you know, as you know, we're not the smartest bunch of people here in the United States. But. I, 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 I would I would disagree. This is this is I think here. OK, this is something I noticed whenever like once I came to America, Americans like always this kind of self-deprecating thing. It's yeah. like, oh, we're so dumb. We don't understand anything about the world. 
And I think it's a little bit skewed because, yes, people know, people in the world more and more about America because they're everywhere, their movies, their politics. Right. You're, you're in our faces everywhere, right? It's kind of like if you're in Egypt, it's like, a, oh my God, we're so stupid. We don't, know, we don't know anything about Nigeria or Gabon right. or South Africa, you know? So I, I, I think like Americans has a lot going on and they don't have space for the Middle East the same way that the Middle East don't have anything for New Zealand. It right, doesn't right. make you dumb. It just makes you have different interests. Right. It, but also, yeah, I, I just don't, I can't believe. The, 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 only, the, only, the only difference is that we don't send troops to New Zealand and fuck their life off. That's right. the only difference. Like America does that to the Middle East. <laughs> right, right. All the fucking time. Um, yeah. yeah, we get, we're very busybody-ish here. You know, it's like, we're yeah. always like putting our shit into everything. It's like, just fucking stay in your lane, you know? So you grew up in, did you grow up in Cairo? I know you went to college yes. in Cairo. I grew up in Cairo all my life. Uh, like I played my sports. My, 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 my child was in Cairo. My medical school was in Cairo. I, I practiced as a, me- a heart surgeon in Cairo. So, most of my life uh, was in Cairo and maybe like I did like sporadic trips to the United States, to Europe every now and then. But like my Cairo was like my hometown. You have a brother, you had public, you had schools, you went to school and it was, it was, would you, if you had to compare it with how your kids are growing up now uh, in the United no, States. It's different. Here's the, this is Cairo. Uh, think of Cairo or Egypt in general, like Mexico. Right. And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm using this analogy. Mexico has a kind of like a, 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 a huge disparity of classes, like, you know, like rich, poor, you know, we were like lucky to be kind of like on the low, very lower level of like, you know, we're like the upper middle class. We weren't like crazy rich, but we right. were doing okay. My, my, my parents could still afford sending me to a, a good private English school. Right. Uh, and, and it's kind of like, uh, and this is like what, what parents do in Egypt in order to step up in society, kind of like they put their life savings in order to put their kids into good schools there. But we weren't made of money. So growing up, I was exposed to American culture. You know, I would like, you know, grow up like watching Friends, The Muppet Show. When I got a little bit smarter, my English got better. I, I, then I watched uh, Seinfeld. Then I kind of upgraded watching Frasier. So if you kind of like upgrade my, 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 my English and or my understanding of American references, that would be God, like Friends, Seinfeld, Frazier. And, and then um, I was kind of like having a, a very normal middle-class life in Egypt where the parents kind of like put you in schools in order to advance in the society. So we have three choices in Egypt. You be, either become an engineer or a doctor or a disappointment. So my doctor, my, 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 so my brother, your brother's an engineer. engineer. I'm the doctor. And, and, and years well, later, now you're the disappointment. A, I'm the disappointment now because I'm the comedian. So it's right. kind of like, I'm, I, I kind of like ticked all the boxes. I checked all my boxes. Does everyone in Egypt really pretty much know English or is it a, no. a class distinction? Like if, if you know English, then you went to that great school or you had enough free time to learn it or is it a well english i mean you're talking about 100 million people in Egypt. Right. that's the population so i would say that a good 10 percent are aware of english only maybe 10 percent of those can converse a bit in english but the vast majority no it's uh it's still a third world country but it, within our circle within like kind of like the educated kind of like levels english is as well known uh American politics is, is discussed at, uh, because America is always behind everything, whether good or bad. Right. So 
so yes, English for at least for our circle is pretty much you know conversed, uh, used, understood. So yeah, and uh, and for me, as I said, I, I I used to come to America the whole time. I remember like uh, the first time I came to America, it was in Atlanta. I had like an internship in Emory Clinic, and then the second time I went to Miami, and I went there to learn salsa because I also liked salsa. So I kind of learned salsa, and I went back to Egypt and became a salsa instructor. No, you didn't. Oh yeah, yeah, I was I was a salsa instructor, uh, uh, and uh, and that's kind of like my second life as being a doctor. And the, the, my colleagues, it's kind of, I think this was my first sign of rebellion to the system. My colleagues and my professors kind of looked down on me as the guy who dances. So it's kind of like I wasn't taking the medicine. But like this was my outlet because I think deep inside, I always hated being a doctor. So it's kind of like this was my outlet, like going to dance. And um, You're a performer. For, yeah, I used to dance salsa and then I danced tango. And I used to have like, I even had my own like dancing school in Egypt as kind of like my, my, my second activity. And, uh, it's, uh, I, and, but I thought like, maybe, maybe if I became a doctor somewhere else, I would be more satisfied being a doctor. So I studied so hard and I passed all of my American USMLE exams, part three and the clinical exam. And I was accepted to be, uh, in a, in a clinical fellowship in Cleveland. And, wow. Uh, the Cleveland and- clinic. No, it's the Rainbow Hospital in Cleveland because I wow. wanted to specialize. I wanted to specialize in sub uh, in um, sub specialize in uh, pediatric heart surgery, and Cleveland right. didn't have that. So, that, but the Rainbow Hospital in Cleveland had that. So, uh, 2010, I, I was accepted, and I was waiting for my uh, papers. And then 2011 happened, Arab Spring, and now I have to make it. And then I and I did these YouTube videos uh, from the revolution because I was upset of how. The, uh, the the mainstream media was kind of skewing uh, the, the facts. Kind of like, you know, I know that you guys in America are kind of like getting to know the term fake news. We had that. Yeah, I, I want to, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, we had, we had, we had 7,000 years of that. So, so, <laughs> we, we, so I, so I was, I was making fun of like the, the media on YouTube videos and I didn't expect that to go anywhere. And then suddenly millions of people started watching right. YouTube videos. And then suddenly I'm having offers from, from, from TV networks to have a show on television. And I remember the day that I was signing my, uh, my TV contract, the papers from Cleveland arrived. So I had to make a choice. Oh my I mean, God. I mean, Cleveland or money. And it was not a very difficult yeah. choice. So I kind of like, <laughs> so I, so I kind of like, I know, but the thing is like joking aside, I didn't actually leave medicine right away. Right. I continued being a doctor while doing the TV host for at least the first year and a half. Because I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to risk everything. I didn't know the TV gig would work. Right, right, right. And it was interesting and at the same time embarrassing because you have to imagine me in the morning rounds with the other professors and the other attending surgeons and then the, the patients waiting to have their hearts being operated upon. Right. Recognize me. It's like, oh, is this, this is the oh, guy that's from the so internet. Funny. I, and, and then the, the older professors would feel very jealous because I'm taking right. all the spotlight. And then, but this was funny because right, right, right on the spot, you say, Oh, you're the guy. You're so funny. Like, is he going to operate on me? I was like, Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I know, but they're probably, they're on their way to going it unconscious. So it's like, Oh my God, you're really. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, that, that, yeah, that would be, that would be kind of like horrifying to find that I'm going to be the doctor. I know that's right the last the thing table. you say. Oh my yeah. God, what are you doing here? Oh, I was like, oh, <laughs> God, yes. <laughs> so 
I'm really interested. I love talking about um, for the first part of my show growing up. So what did your parents do? Did your mother work? What did your father do? What kind of house did you live in? Was it an apartment? Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, an apartment in a very it's kind of like think about it. If you're living in New York, kind of like, uh, you know, high rise. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like we don't have high rise in Egypt like New York, but kind of like it was a very nice apartment. It's like on the Nile. It's a beautiful place. It's kind of like being like growing up in like an apartment in the Hudson River. Okay? Right, right, right. But okay. Still, but, but still that is kind of like, uh, and it is uh, rent. So it was not like one of the old rents. So we didn't pay crazy rent. Right. Kind of one of the old houses there. And uh, it was, my mom was a, a, a university professor. She, te- she taught business administration. And my dad was a judge. So uh, as again, like typical, original middle-class Egyptian family. People don't realize women are educated in Egypt, you know, like, Oh yeah. 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 Uh, my, my, my mom wore the pants in the, in the house and I'm not, and I'm, we're not scared to say that my mom right. was very, very powerful. very, very strong. Uh, she, she was a Taurus, like first of May, that's her right. birthday. And she, she was tough. I mean, you do not cross her. So, uh, yeah, like my, my dad was like the guy, like the guy with the, the cool head. He didn't care. It's like, a, right, like right. Go talk, to you, talk to your mom. And like my mom would just, <laughs> were you scared of her growing up? Of course. Yeah. That's yeah. so see, don't you think that's important because you know, my kids are not scared of me and I feel like I was scared of my parents a little bit. I mean, you know, you're scared just enough that you're going to disappoint yes. them or whatever. These kids now. They don't, they don't give a shit. Like what I no, think. No, my, 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 I, I have two kids. I have a three and a half and a nine years old. Nadia is nine years old. And okay. So this is what happened. And I, I'm going to ju- kind of like jump in time and go back to my childhood. Right. But like just a couple of months ago, I had to go, had to go to on a very long trip to the Middle East, to Dubai. And my wife just had her, you know, her, her wisdom tooth removed. So she was in pain and I'm leaving the next day. So I, I took Nadia. I said like, Nadia, my daughter said like, I want you to be my, my little helper. You're going to be like, you know, the one who's taking care of mommy. I don't want you to put too much pressure on her. I don't want you to put too much stress on her. All right. And then my, like my, my daughter kind of like became all flustered. I said, I said, Nadia, what's wrong? I said like, well, what about my pressure? I said, what? <laughs> I said like, what about my stress? I said, Nadia, you're nine years old. What possibly <laughs> the kind of pressure you're going to go through? And then she looked at me. I said like, you don't have, you don't have any idea what, what does it mean to be a child growing up in a pandemic? I said like, you know uh, what? She's, I'm going to go with, she's, she's American. I'm going to just say yeah, that right she now. She became American. It's like, you yeah. don't know what does it mean to be quarantined? I said like, you should be thankful to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> and so, then I said like, uh, okay, honey. I said, I, and I had to be like the good dad who's right. understanding to the, I know, right? the pressure of his kids. Yeah. Fucking annoying. They take, they just suck the life out of you now. So was school like it is here where it's, you know, um, there's little clicks and then, I mean, you know, people are into sports. Some people are into the theaters, you know, were there a lot of extracurricular activities? Did you have like prom and all that kind of bullshit that we have here? So again, depends on what kind of school you get. So in order to get the good public school education here in America, you had to pay a lot of money to go into a private school back in Egypt. So okay. kind of like to, to get that level, that kind of like the American or European form of schooling, 
you have to get into a private school. So me coming from a, a middle-class family, my parents kind of paid a lot of money to be in that school. Now you have to remember, I, I'm not coming from a rich family. I'm coming from a middle-class family, but I'm going to school with other rich kids. I mean, right. I went with the richest kids in Cairo, but I didn't come from a rich background. So from the get-go, I always felt there's a difference. Right. I always had this kind of like ugly duckling syndrome that I was less than others. I wasn't rich. I didn't have a, as much money. So I wasn't one of the cool kids in school growing up. I never even had a, a girlfriend because I right. was not a, one of the cool, rich kids in school. I mean, I wasn't bullied or anything, but like I was classified as one of the nerdy people who played sports. So I was a nerd because I was good at, like I always had good grades, but I was excelling at sports. But I wasn't one of the cool kids with uh, with a rich background. So that is that that kind of like I think uh, humbled me from a very well. Very you wouldn't beginning. be you wouldn't be funny if you were if you were one of those kids. You would yeah. You would I, was, not be, I was one of the privileged. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. You. I mean, I, we are fish out of water. We are we are the other. You know, and I, I think to be that's thankful what, for the poverty of my parents. Right. <laughs> Did you have like play? Did you have like play dates? Like, did you have sleepovers? Did you do all that kind no, of shit? No, 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 no. That that's for the rich kids with the big houses. Wow. Hey everyone, you know one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity. And eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality. And they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have calorie smart, protein plus, keto. I just did chef's choice. 60 or more add-ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep. There's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required, okay? And Factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me, I never lie, Factor is amazing. You're going to head to Factor Meals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S, dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero, okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50, to get 
50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. You're growing up. You're, you know, is your brother older than you? Yeah, he's five, he's five years older than me. Yeah. And, and he's he, still any. We, 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 yeah, yeah. We became friends, but after like a, a kind of like a long childhood of being beaten up by him. But then oh my god! <laughs> no, but you he know, didn't beat me. He was, he was, he was, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah, no. Henry, my older son, was would beat up Ben, my younger son, and then Ben grew to be six foot eight inches tall, and he is, you know, he plays basketball for Tulane, and so. It was like for years, Henry was beating the shit out of Ben. And finally, Ben was able to beat the shit out of Henry. And that was the last time they ever had a, a fight. <laughs> like, you got, but you have a girl and a boy. So you're, it's not happening. Um, yeah, no, Nadia is the older, Nadia is a good older sister. She takes care of Adam. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. So you go through high school. It went, growing up, was did you guys in your house talk about politics all the time? I mean, it's so. Oh, all the time. All the time. We talked about politics and religions and, and the Middle East, of course. I mean, if you're in the Middle East, you cannot not discuss politics. Right. It was part of it. But, but also, here's the thing. When you grow up in Egypt at that era, we had a president for 30 years. And when you have the same president, the same dictator for 30 years, things become stagnant. Right. It's kind of like you, 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 we, the, the, more the, the more dynamic things are, the more you talk about politics, because there's always um, a, a hope for change. Here, right. Every four years, you have this kind of chances. But like in Egypt, it's like, ah, nothing, nothing changes. So we talked about it, but it, it wasn't kind of like a, a very huge thing because uh, things will not change. So you had it's you know you had Mubarak and he was I mean like I just growing up here I just can't imagine um 30 fucking years the same guy do you feel like you don't have a voice like all right well this is the way it is I mean yeah, and I mean, were you-, you, you, you take it for granted, but there's an upside for that because I mean, right. look at you guys here in America. Every four years, you want to change a president. I mean, right. like I think I see the stress that you go through. That's why I mean, the problem is you have too much choice. You have too much anxiety. Back in Egypt, we have no choice. We have no anxiety. It's kind of like it comes right. It takes it's away. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, because like I mean, look at what happened to you guys in the last elections. It's like oh my god, oh who got Arizona? Who got right. Wisconsin? Who's in Pennsylvania? We right. already know. I mean, we in Egypt, we don't have to go through the turmoil of anxiety and choice. It's just like stable. It's like it's do having you feel a long term like- relationship with with our dictators. <laughs> Right. But do you feel like freedom causes more anxiety than I mean, I guess, you know, I think of it in 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 the way religion, like people who are, you know, extremely religious. For me, I think that is and they go by every you know, they have to follow every rule. That's lazy. That's like a way of just I don't have to think this is what I do. This is what I'm told what to think. I'm told what to say. I'm told, you know, it's much easier to live like that than it is to like open your mind and be like, oh, I have feelings about this. I, you know, should I act upon that? You know, it it, I guess in a way, freedom. It's harder a little bit, don't you think? It It is harder. And that is exactly how authoritarian regimes tell you. It's like, oh, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Right. Uh, do, you, do you want to have this turmoil? You have like, it's just like, 
dictatorship is nice, is good. And it's not, they don't mean to call dictatorship. It's like, we're just going to take care of you. The same way religious authorities take care of you. Don't worry. Right. Just do that. Pay that money. Do these prayers. And you're going to be to, uh, to have, it's, it's kind of like, just you have to do these steps in order to have salvation. You have to do this step in order to have stability. So it's kind right. of like they don't never call it dictatorship. It is stability. Right. It's incredible. Um, and did you, did your parent, like at dinner, were there these discussions about, you know, what's going on around you? Um, yeah. I mean, there's always like the discussion of like, oh, this country will never improve as long as we have, but, but it's kind of like, it was very difficult to see anything through the lens of anything other than the dictator, the regime that was there for 30 years. Right. So it was always a fight to make little changes, not major changes, because the, the regimes in, the, in this part of the world build the country in a way where if you remove the regime, it would be chaos. And what they did, here's, here's, here's what's very important about politics in the Middle East. Uh, most dictators in the Middle East, who are, by the way, all friends of the, with the U.S., they sell this image is that it's either us or Islamic fanatics. It's either us or that. So it's better to have us as your favorite dictators in order to kind of right. have the stability. And America does that because they have interest and they need their interest, whether these are like transportation, oil, or military strategic alliance, they need that to be protected. They don't want to go through the masses of the people having to decide or have a say. You just have to need to speak to one person, right. whether this person is a religious a leader or a military leader. So in the, the military dictatorships in, the, in Egypt, and not, not just in even the Arab world, they sell this idea. It's like, oh, you have to go with us secular people other than the religious fanatics, but they're not secular. They're as religious, as, as fanatic as the other religious people. Right. But it's a, give, a different form. And that's why, for example, I mean, the best example for that is what happened in Syria. Uh, Assad, you know, Bashar Assad have <sighs> like, was the most brutal dictator, killed right. his people. And then when things were falling apart and after everybody's like, oh, acid has to go, acid has to go. They found ISIS. Like, ah, maybe it's just like better to stay with acid. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's the lesser because of two evils. But, then, and, but, this, yeah. but this, is, this is how these regimes, like, you know, build those dictatorships on the fact that it's like it's either arts or complete chaos and terrorism. It's so it's so incredible that what we take like you're sitting at your family's dinner table talking about politics, and you know kids are in in America are like I want my scooter. I you can't believe you're not buying a scooter. You know. Well, uh, you, <laughs> you know. Well, a lot of people say, "Hey, these are good problems to have." Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's better to have this with the freedom of having our scooter than the than the lack of freedom and being taken away. Now, was your whole family around you in Egypt um, or were they in other countries? And did you travel a lot through the Middle East when you were a kid with your family? No, no all of my family were both my, my parents' family are for, in Egypt. We didn't have a kind of a widespread family. We have this kind of like, you know, being linked to, the, to, to our homes. And my, 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 I didn't travel. I traveled more to Europe and the U.S. more than I traveled in, in, the, United, in the Middle East. I actually started traveling in the Middle East after I became famous. But growing up, I, I went more to London or Paris or right. Rome and, and even to Miami and Atlanta and DC and New York more than I went to the Middle East. And from a very young age, I was very, very attracted to the US. 
And when I was traveling, I started to watch John Stewart, beginning of the 2000s. And it was interesting because watching John Stewart is a ring. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't understand anything about, I didn't understand his humor. I didn't because I was, I, what is Fox news? Right. What, what are Democrats and what are right. Republicans? So by watching him, I became much more informed about the politics in the U S and that was incredible for me because, and then this is how I said, I want to I show like this. I want right. to show like this. And, and, but it was impossible because how can you have a show like this under a 30 years dictator? Right. You know, you know, I have my, my great grandparents, I think were pretty well off. I think we lost, they lost everything in the depression, whatever. And I, there is a photo of them on camels at the pyramids in Egypt. Oh yeah. Speaking of camels, that is one of the beautiful stereotypes that we Egyptian face. It's like, Oh my God, you live in Egypt. You go to work every day riding your camels. Like, no, no, no. I'm just, this was the 1906 or something. I'm just saying I, my family visited Egypt. Even in 1906, we didn't go to work riding camels. I mean, the only reason we have camels is for white people's Instagram. No, I'm (laughs) saying they did. They, God damn it. Everything I fucking say is wrong. I was just saying my great grandparents, whatever, you know, you're, you're a white privileged Jewish woman. That's yeah, that's true. I'm so privileged. Ask everyone. Okay. So, um, your brother goes to engineering school, which I'm sure your parents were like, you know, I don't know. Are they, you know, my mother would be, Oh, my son's an engineer. He's going. And then my youngest son is going, he's going to go into medicine. Was it, is it like that? Um, yeah, it was much more subtle. So I think it's like in Egypt, people, parents don't really force you into medicine. They kind of like gently suggest it, you know, all right. the time. It's like, a, I said like, mom, but I, I mean, one time I discussed the possibility to go to the AUC, the American university in Cairo. And I, and I said, all right. Hmm, oh, interesting what are you going to study it's like mass communication you know computer science like oh oh interesting is that a real job and it's kind of like that kind of like you know passive aggressive things right and, and, right. and, in, my, and in my stand-up i make the joke i said like it's like it doesn't matter how many times you object but dad mom i don't want to be a doctor it's like okay habibi you don't have to be a doctor you can be anything else you can be a physician a surgeon a pediatrician and you don't have to be a doctor. So it's kind of like, they kind of like push it on right. you in a way right. that like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's your choice. It's your choice. Right. It's kind of like how authoritarian regimes make us believe it's our choice. Right. Right. Living there. So, so manipulative. So, okay. I, I yeah. love food. So what, what did you guys eat for dinner? Like, did you, was it all middle Eastern fare when you were like, ugh, I mean, you know, we eat like shit in this country, you know? Well, I grew up kosher, so we didn't have, I was spared a lot of crap, but um, what did, what were your, what did you have for dinner? And like, did your mom or your dad pack a lunch? Well, I mean, when I, when I, no, we, in dinner, it was very, I would say we had like the Egyptian food, which is like based on a lot of vegetables. So we had like the okra, the molokhia, uh, the oh. beans, all of that with the rice, of course. And we have to, of course, have like chicken or meat. So that is regular. So it's kind of like veg- uh, like starch, vegetables. Yeah, and meat. same. 
we we had we had the, our version of mac and cheese, but it's much more delicious, of course, like the bechamel, you know, like oh uh, yeah 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 the, yeah. So the, the 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 we have a kitchen that is mixture of like Middle Eastern, Turkish, Greek. So we have the moussaka, we had the. Uh, uh, the, the 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 dolma, which is like the rape, yeah, the, the grape the, leaves, the, the grape leaves, yeah, yeah, yes. <sighs> so all of that, the, all of like the, the stuffed vegetables. So this is kind of what we had to eat, right? In the in the morning, it was either full, which is like the fava beans, or falafel, or eggs. And if we packed lunch, it will be like you know just like jam or cheese. So it, I, like the this is like the kind of like that area's food, you know. It was not less of like the steaks and the, uh, the, uh, the, the, when we grew up, you have to understand growing up in the eighties, we didn't have fast food. Right. It is when we had 1991, we had the first pizza hut opening and it was like a huge deal. That really? was like, we're rich. Yes. Oh my God. And then we didn't have McDonald's until 1998. And you have to understand how big of an event of that. I mean, I mean, rich people would take their dates to McDonald's. That was like, yeah. Oh my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you first, first of all, there must have been a lot of farting in your house and in school with the fava beans. beans That is such a stereotype, but no. (laughs) (laughs) I fart. I mean, I'm a Jew. We fart all the time. Um, No, but if it was when you, when, when the fast food came there, were you like, was it a completely different um, palette? Like, well, you're like, wow, what? like, yeah, and yeah, everybody. First of all, everybody got constipated, so we kind of like we didn't fart anymore. <laughs> the day, the day that McDonald's arrived to Egypt, people stopped farting in Egypt. In, in Egypt, right? So, uh, uh, yeah. Well, for us, it's it's kind of like this is sad. It is the standard American diet. S A D. Sad. So it's kind of like the whole having all of the McDonald's and the KFC. KFC was just like huge, still huge. So we, it was, and it uh, like, it's kind of like the Americanization, the globalization of the movies. It it happened for two things, food and U.S. movies. And, uh, and it was interesting to go to McDonald's and then go and enjoy watching Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, in true lies, which is basically shitting on us Muslims. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. We still, enjoy, hey, he's making fun of us, and we're yeah. all terrorists. But but we're enjoy, We still want to watch it. <laughs> oh my God! Do you think? All right, I'm I'm going off on a tangent, but though that once that American food um, arrived there, did people get fatter, and did people get a little oh, more? Yeah. Dep- was there more mental health issue? I mean, like. It's I bad. Say, I, 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 no, I think, listen, listen, about mental health issue, we already have enough shit in the Middle East to make it. Right, right, good. right. Yeah, I, and I even make a joke about like here now in America, when like every time there's a white shooter, it's like, oh, he's crazy. He's depressed. But if he's a Muslim shooter, is like he's a terrorist. It's like, guys, I know, I can't can with this get, shit. We, can't we get the same, like, you know, benefit of the doubt of every white male shooter in this country? Because we also could be crazy. And so right. we come from the Middle East, which is the core, the center of craziness. I mean, and I, and I give them an example. It's like, you guys send your troops to the Middle East. They come back, back with PTSD. We fucking live there. We are, we, right. are in the, we are in the source code of, of, of depression. So we have a lot of stuff going on to make us like go bananas. Uh, and, uh, but I think, what, to your point, yes. When we had the, uh, the SAD, the Standard American Diet, we had a jump in obesity 
Wow. Uh, and and uh, 40 years ago, we didn't have, we didn't hear about things like Crohn's disease. We didn't have that much of a diabetes. We had diabetes, but not that thing, not, not that rate. It's interesting that because like starting from last year, the Middle East actually surpassed America. Really? And, and diabetes. Yeah. 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 That's, it's so fucked up. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky because my mother, my parents were pretty healthy. Plus we were kosher. So, you know, I didn't eat, we didn't eat fast food or anything, but yeah, now I'm morbidly obese. Growing up, I, and I'm not being stereotypical, but because I really don't want to be like that, um, you know, but did you hear war, sounds of war, sounds of, you know, was that commonplace? Like, oh, they're either, you know, I hear shots. I hear, you know. No, no. In sounds Egypt, no. of, Egypt, yeah. No, Egypt has always, Egypt did not have a lot of conflict on its ground, on its land. After 1973, the last war with Israel. And even at that time, the wars were more like in Sinai. Like it's not like just kind of like right. in, 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 in Cairo. So when, with all of the turmoil that's happening, I mean, yes, you had like Libya or Iraq or what, or whatever, right. like Egypt was not involved in, in, in the, or kind of like it, it didn't have like, it's kind of like growing up in America. You didn't really, you don't really have right. war on American mainland. So you hear right. about it, but you don't hear it. Right. Well, now it we're not until to... uh, it was not until the revolution and the Arab Spring when we had clashes in the streets. Right. Right. Where, yes. We had we had like tear gas shot at us. We had like shots. We had even stuff happening outside of my theater when I was having this. But growing up, no, that was not the case. Were you ever scared as a kid um, because of politics? Other than my mom? No, <laughs> politics. No, only only my mom. I love that. Uh, okay. So you go, you go to medical school, you become a thoracic surgeon. Do you know that there's more while you're doing this? Like you're doing lung transplant. I mean, you're like saving people's lives. Um, yeah, but I was born to my mind. I was born to death. Right. I was bored. I, was bored. I mean, I, I, I did it. It was very mechanical and it just like, it's like long hours. The shifts was crazy. And you all, you do that, you know, hoping that one day you're going to be like a senior surgeon and you have like all of your minions doing your work for you. Right. Right. Just right. Like cash out. <laughs> but like, I, I wasn't happy growing up being a doctor. It's amazing. And people probably just were hanging on to your every yeah. breath and every word, you know, and you're sitting there going, I fucking hate this. I fucking, I fucking hate this. I fucking, just shut up and let then you like crack your chest open. <laughs> <laughs> and you like, all right, this is the worst question ever, but I can't deal with blood. I can't deal with any body fluids. Like they gross me out. Like you never were grossed out by that stuff. Well, I, uh, growing up, I thought like, oh my God, like, how can I get into medicine? And then you end up by the second year of medical school and you're in the morgue, like dissecting, you know, you know, dead bodies and you're eating a sandwich. So it's kind of like, you get used to it. What, what kind of sandwich goes with say, um, a, I don't know, putting a stent in what, what would be a good sandwich for a stent? I, a, a good gr grilled cheese sandwich, because mm. that will also give you a, a <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So, so you graduate and then, okay. You're a surgeon. How do you meet your wife? Hala, who I love that name. Cause I love Hala. Good night folks. Uh, yeah. 
What, what, what does Chala mean in, in, in Hebrew? Uh, d- does it mean bread? What does it mean? No, Hala, Hala means a halo. Halo. In Arabic. In Arabic. Angel. Yeah, like a halo. Yeah. 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 I remember I told you, I, to- I, told you I was at, at teaching salsa, right? Yeah. So at, at 2006, I got introduced to Argentinian tango. And since then, I got the bug for Argentinian tango. So I went into tango. So I met my wife in one of the tango classes. And she came because I was teaching and she came to my class. And then how, this is how we met, dancing tango. Wow. That's kind of hot and sexy. Very hot and sexy. And we even got a tango wedding. You had a tango wedding? Yes. Yes. And then, and then our parents were looking, it's like, is this like a kind of a performance arts group? This is just like our friends. They thought that this was kind of like one of like the, 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 the people that you pay. It's kind of like a, a wedding singers. And then, Oh, we have wedding dancers. And no, these right, are our right. friends. Guys like, oh, you had this kind of life. Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. So you get married. And before you do the show, before we get to the show, which is what it's called, El Bernameg. Is that right? El Bernameg. Can I do it? El Bernameg. You see, this is very stereotypical. There is not a single sound in El Bernameg, but yet you just have to put... Because I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew and the Hebrew. I, I read Hebrew and, and everything is... But... but uh, yeah, but that's like white people's perception. It's like you have to. No, it's like you see, Albernamic. My El- name is Basim Yusuf. I'm speaking to Judy, and I had a show called Albernamic. There's not a single. You see, we can El- be normal people without El- a Bernamic. Yes, beautiful. Albernamic. Which means the show. Yeah. The show. So yes. the Arab Spring happens, the revolution happens, right? Yes. And you get inspired by this and and it, is it because of i mean it's john stewart i know your favorite comedian is george carlin correct yes yes um did you get to did you how did you discover george carlin how did you discover all these incredible voices well you have to remember that we were always watching american uh shows growing up so it, it, it we as much as we watched uh, Seinfeld and, and Frasier and Friends, we also watch movies like with the Shawshank Redemption, Kevin right. Spacey, and, and uh, we watch Richard Pryor and, 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 uh, and all of these. So when you start to watch these and you say, oh, these are not just actors, these are comedians. Right. It's like, oh, there's something called stand-up comedy. So you start to watch stand-up comedy. And right. most of it, we would just watch that stuff on clips on YouTube. Right. And then when I got into Jon Stewart, I said like, oh, that's political comedy. So political comedy has other heroes. So you start like John, uh, like John, uh, like George Carlin and Lenny Bruce. Click. Yes. So it's kind of like, you know, so right. you, 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 you get to know these names and you watch them and you follow them and you get inspired by like, those people are talking against power, whether that power is religious right. or authoritarian. And it was amazing, mesmerizing, but you, ne- but you always watch it in a kind of a fantasy. It will, I will never have something like this in Egypt. Right. So they're, they're speaking truth to power. And you're thinking this could never happen here. Exactly. Until we had the revolution, then we had the kind of a window of opportunity. Right. So the revolution happens, by the way, I just want to say that you were a member of the Royal College of Surgeons. Yeah. It's uh, just so exciting for me as a Jew that like really turns me on. Okay. It's my nerdy life. <laughs> um, so you decide, I, I want to do this. I want to do this. Yeah. I have a lot to say. And you, in your laundry room, 
correct? Is this right? You yes. in your laundry room? So uh, me and my wife, we just got married. We just got married exactly forty-five days before the revolution. And we, 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 when you have like a new apartment, you have certain spaces you don't fill it up. That's kind of like the future, right? Like a room for our do- our our whoever's offspring we're gonna bring right. to this world, right? So we have an empty space. We're just gonna put like the laundry, like you know, to dry up. And uh, we had a space, and then we had a revolution. And then after the revolution happened, I talked to my friends. So like, I need to do something about what's happening in the media. So I started to do these five minutes YouTube videos in my laundry room. We just got one desk and we had like a banner and I had like, you know, one camera and I started to shoot these episodes and I didn't think it was going anywhere. You know, I was just like making fun of whatever the, the, the state run media is, is, is pushing our way. And then suddenly I, uh, it went viral. Millions it's amazing. Viewers. Yeah. Millions of views, millions of views. And, 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 and six weeks into that, I had uh, TV offers and it was, uh, I was like, well, well, my mom's like, I, just make sure you continue being a doctor. And I, said, yes, <laughs> I think your mom's Jewish. Okay. So oh, yeah, absolutely. you have no idea. Of course you have no idea that this is going to go completely viral. Hey, pun intended guys, pun intended. Yes. We're the doctor oh, yes. and he's going viral. Hey now. Oh yes. Um, yes. Uh, and, we even, and even masks weren't a thing at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and you talk about overnight. I mean, it literally was overnight. Are you freaking out? I mean, I feel like because no one in your country had ever done this before, people were like, yes, yes, please. I, I you know, it, it was it, it must have been such. Not only like, oh, my God, this is exciting. What is this? But also like a huge responsibility. Yes. And uh, it was a little bit daunting and it's a bit overwhelming because suddenly you are in that in the spotlight. And and this is this is kind of like the downside of it when people kind of put so much pressure and so much hope and for the get go. I said, guys, this is a comedy show. So, but you right. Still, 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 I was like, yes, but still a comedy show. And I think this is what the, 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 the wars that I had to struggle with of having people putting too much importance on comedians and satirists. And I understand what, where it comes from, because it is entertaining. We do our job, which is different from politicians and media people, which usually suck at their job. So people look at comedians like, right. oh, you're, ho- you're our hope. It's like, no, we're not your hope. Because I always say that the role of a comedian or a satirist stops at the edge of the television or the edge of his theater. And, and you should not give that much importance. I mean, you said, you, 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 you said wonderful things at the beginning of, of the introduction saying, Oh, you're so brave. And this is what I always get. Oh my God, you're so brave. I was like, guys, I didn't really think of like going against authority as much as we are thinking of putting on a good show because right no was, well, but but yeah i was kind of like i was afraid of the backlash of twitter if i had the bad episode than being you know, you know arrested by the government <laughs> right 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 no i meant brave because of the circumstances that there was no one before you that's well, that's what i mean you fucking crashed that ceiling of like yeah. hey we can do this here but it's also it's satire it's so it's fascinating because you know you 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 learned about american politics through john's you know the daily show and john stewart and yet and so many people of your generation 
became uh, literate in in, you know, you know, current affairs and civics and what's going on in our country because of The Daily Show, because it is, you know, people don't realize that, you know, it's the most palatable way to discuss this. It's like great comedians trick you into making you think and make you laugh at the same time. So, and and that is the role of comedians to make you think, but, but, but but the problem is people watch comedy and satire and then they kind of like became late, become lazy because they think of like laughing at oppression or at uh, powerful people is enough. No, but when it comes to the time to kind of move and do something, people just like sit down. Yeah, doing no, I watched that. And, uh, that's enough. I didn't, you know, no, it's like you have to act upon it. You have to do yes. something. So yes. you talk a lot about, I mean, you are the perfect example of political satire disrupting politics, you know, and social taboos and religious taboos. And, you know, that's what we do. We are a unit, like, I write about this in my book, you know, like you are, we are uniting people. We are talking about how we're all really the same, but at the same time, it's a weapon, you know, were you aware of how powerful this weapon was going to be? I was scared of that weapon, I have to say. And uh, it, it was interesting to see how authority reacts to humor. You see, whenever you try to criticize authority, or make a stand, whether that stand by a joke or right. kneeling to a flag in front of a flag or going against a uh, um, religious hierarchy. It was interesting to see how the authority reacted to that because they always make it about something else. Right. They make it about the flag. They make it about God. They make it about religion. They make about uh, uh, values and a way of life. Right. And I, so I always say small people, hide behind big ideas. Right. This is exactly what they do. You know, when somebody's like, oh, it's about the flag. Oh, it's about religion. It's about God. It's about Allah. It's about Jesus. These are just, these are small people. And they are right. so small, they cannot really stand their own ground. So they need to have a bigger idea to shield them, to kind of like hide behind it. So it's so that's why when I was arrested, I was I was doing the show under the Islamist. It, the, 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 the list of accusations against me was insulting Islam, insulting the president, spreading false rumors, disrupting the fabric of society, which I don't know what the fuck that is. But these are <laughs> all of like big ideas, kind of like in order to put you into that. You know, like when someone like Lenny Bruce or George Conway were arrested and had trouble, it was because like disrupting the values of the system or the or society. It's just like, like big bullshit, empty words. Right, right, right. Anything. But it's always meant to protect them, protect people in power, protect the status quo. Oh, absolutely. Throwing loads of big ideas to the public and and show people how grave and how dangerous if a a black man kneels to the flag or like a comedian make a joke against like the authority or a cartoonist doing some sort of a cartoon, making like mocking a certain uh, idea or religion. Oh, so these people need to be taken down or else the world is going to go to shit. Not because of what we do as authority, but because these people cracking jokes. Yeah. When you think about Lenny and George and, and Richard, you know, Lenny's arrested for cursing, but they, they didn't give a shit that he was cursing. They gave a shit about the substance of his material, you know, of the, yeah, it, you know, Vietnam it's War a, it's, and segregation. It's always, an excuse, you know. 
always an excuse. It's always right. an excuse. It's always a, it's never about the joke. It's never about the the F word, the F word. Right. It's never about the. It's never. It's it's about something else, and it was always about me. Kind of like people's like, oh, he's trying to spoil our kids, corrupt our kids. But it's okay because dictatorship does not corrupt society. Right. You know, one thing I I mean I love a lot about you. Um, but I love that. You know, I am very sarcastic um, and I grew up in the most sarcastic. I don't think anyone ever said anything <laughs> without sarcasm to me growing up. Um, and, you know, my partner, Elisa, uh, you know, comes from a family, no sarcasm whatsoever. And I would be saying things and she'd be like, really? I'm like, no. Was sarcasm something you learned or did you grow up with it? Well, uh, I was someone who, like in Egypt, we always have this kind of inner sarcasm right. against authority. So we, in Egypt, we didn't have freedom of expression, but we had the best political jokes ever. And it was always kind of like shared in between people. We had, we had, we had sarcastic jokes against God and against you know, religion, but we always shared it between people. It was right. never something that we would do publicly. So, so, so incredible. So that's kind of like the, so in the Arab world, Egyptians had the best sense of humor and it all comes from, because you see comedy comes from pain. Pain. So we came, so, so that's it. We, the pain of being oppressed always produced the best jokes. It's so interesting that you say like you had a, you had to know who you were talking to and know, you know, like, is this person safe to discuss this with, yes. which is such a comedian thing. There are so many things we as comedians say to each other that we would never say exactly. to other people because they're, you know, exactly so mean. So, so, so we had we had that. And then when the show came out, it's because of the embodiment of that kind of sense of sarcasm. Right. And when it came out and it, and of course, there was a lot of resistance against it because you always have those people. Oh, it's God, it's religion, it's authority. So but then watching The Daily Show and watching American humor was a different level. It's a different thing. It's a different references. So you had to, I had to educate myself to know what is funny and why right. is it funny right. being said in, in, in English in, in, uh, concerning American politics. So that is the kind of things. Yes. So sarcasm was part of our life, but it was never materialized in the media. It Did was he, always what was allowed was like making fun of social issues. Right, right. Like making fun of ourselves, deprecating, but never against authority. Can you tell everyone that the sign you had in your studio about sarcasm? Oh, yes. Uh, it was a sign about uh, yeah, sarcasm because uh, beating the shit out of people is illegal. <laughs> I love I mean. It's I love that. Do you still have that sign? It was metal. That sign looked like it was metal. No, uh, no, it was not metal. It was poster, but it was lost I, in I, the with uh, the theater when it was taken. Oh out. fuck! I love that sign. Thank you so much for listening to part one of Kill Me Now with the really fascinating Bassem Youssef. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. This podcast would not be possible without the help and love of Brittany Joe Sowards. Now, if you like the show, which I don't even know why I say this every week, just please subscribe. Please leave a review. Please make it five stars. Please, please begging, begging, begging. Again, if you haven't purchased my book, yes, I can say that. When they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. Really, 
there's you really have some like some sort of problem in your brain because you know it's my book you're listening to my podcast and you'll love it you'll laugh and it's great and get the audiobook you know the weather's getting nice you're going on little day trips you know you put the audiobook on which was a new and noteworthy in the new york times book review anyway there it is i just want to say that uh it would mean a lot to me if you check everything out and you, you know go to my website homepage judygold.com there's all these links where you can buy the book every kind of bookstore indie non-indie I can't think of other kinds of bookstores, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Just get my fucking book. Okay. Or just go into a bookstore and get it or ask for it and say, why the fuck don't you have Judy Gold's book? You know what I'm saying? Also, you know, follow me on Twitter and Instagram for everything, everything about me, everything I'm thinking, what I'm doing, why I'm here, everything. It's at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D. You know, like Jew Gold, because I'm a Jew, 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 Jew. And speaking of Jew... I want to wish everyone a very, very happy, healthy Passover, Easter. Well, Easter's not till you know the following week, but whatever you're celebrating, I hope you're with family, you're being safe, and that uh, you know there's love spreading around. Also, because you know how I am with the love, and also please wear a mask. You know, just be safe and think about others. You know, the mask is is real. If you're listening to this, then you know that, first of all, I love you for listening to the very, very end of my podcast. But you know how I feel. You know, just cover your fucking face so that you don't make someone else infected or get someone else infected. And it's not about you. It's not about you. Thank you so much for listening. I really, 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 really do appreciate it. I love all of you individually. As we always say... So long. Don't forget to tune in next week to Just Kill Me Now. Um, for, it's just kill me. Oh. Don't forget to turn uh, for part two on Just Kill Me. No, it's not. It's <laughs> just, just kill me. Now, no, Judy Gold's Just Kill Me. Just kill me now. Just kill me now. <laughs>